Ladies and gentlemen, this is James Dossie, and you're listening to the Vigilance Press Podcast. Tonight, uh, we're talking to Brian Engard, who has uh, been making a name for himself for the past few years, doing a lot of stuff, uh, especially for the Fate role-playing game. Brian, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, now, some of my listeners may not be familiar with your name. We have only published one Fate product so far. Plug, plug. We just uh, released Tianxia, Blood, Silk, and Jade. Um, which is available now from RPG Now. Um, <laughs> but uh, you have been—you've been putting out a lot of stuff uh, in the past couple of years. Now, the first Fate product you let, let, let's talk about your your career in basically in in gaming before we get into the Fate stuff specifically. Um, okay. uh, when when. How did you get into uh, working professionally in, in role-playing game design and game design? Uh, it, it was kind of a long road. Um, I so I've I've been like designing games for as long as I can remember, uh, even if I didn't really call it that. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I, when I was like eight, I was making you know Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle board games for me and my friends to play and stuff like that. Um, and, uh, and like right around college, I, I had this inkling that I wanted to do stuff in the RPG industry, but didn't really think that was a thing that would, um, ever happen in like a professional sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then, uh, after college, I started to write a couple of things, uh, just like three and four page PDFs here and there, um. I did some stuff for uh, Lewis Porter Jr. Designs. Um, I did some stuff for a couple of other small press uh, back there. This was like before. This was like 2002, 2003, before there was really any kind of like indie self-publishing movement before Kickstarter, um, before Twitter, um, and uh, like I, I got seven or eight small things published. Never really got much of a name from it um but got some recurring work which was nice mm-hmm. uh and then it kind of it kind of went like that for a little while until i um like met quote unquote online uh brennan taylor um who uh told me that my my writing was good enough to be published uh professionally and gave me the job of writing uh the psionic supplement for the original d20 version of bulldogs oh, very uh cool. That was a big milestone for me because it was like a 75,000 word book that I was supposed to write on my own. And I had never done anything of that volume before. Um, and I did it. And it sold literally tens of copies. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure you can't find it anywhere these days. Uh, I think I still have a copy on my hard drive. Um, but then what that did was that when, um, when Brennan put up the call... Um, for people to help him write the fade version of Bulldogs several years later, I was already kind of on his radar. We were Facebook friends. I responded and said, Hey, I'd be interested. Um, and it turns out I was like the only one who responded in a timely manner. So he said, well, why don't we just co-write the book together? Um, and that happened. <laughs> so, and that was my first, um, that was my first fate book. Uh, it was also uh, kind of a crash course in fate for me. 
Uh, I had never played or read anything Fate before I got handed that assignment. Mm-hmm. Um, I was familiar with Fate from from listening to people talk about it on podcasts. Uh, in particular, uh, Mick Bradley's House of the Harping Monkey podcast from back in the day. Okay. Uh, like, I, I learned a lot about uh, the core ideas behind Fate from that podcast, and they took root over time. Um, but I, I didn't know the specifics or how the system worked, and I hadn't read any of the books. So I had this assignment, so I bought Spirit of the Century, and I read it, and... Uh, I said, okay, I think I have an idea of how this works. And then I wrote stuff for Bulldogs. And um, apologies if you hear dogs barking in the back. <laughs> um, That's okay. We have many unexpected guest stars on this show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so um, so Bulldogs came out, and it was very well received. And um, that is kind of the thing that got me into the industry proper. Um, from that, uh, I got a job with, uh, Wright Publishing, writing a book called The Demolished Ones, which is mm-hmm. like a fate, uh, murder mystery, um, amnesia story type thing, a little bit of horror in there. Um, and, uh, Evil Hat tapped me to write, uh, for the, for the Paranet Papers, which is, a uh, the upcoming supplement for the Dresden Files RPG. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that led to lots and lots and lots of lots of more work from Evil Hat. They've been keeping me pretty busy. Yeah, uh, I, I noticed. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was going to say, uh, most of the projects you've mentioned are uh, Fate products that came out before Fate Core, uh, which was the big Kickstarter that was launched at uh, the end of 2012. I keep wanting to say 2011, but... <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, and of course, uh, the last of the the published products came out last year for that, and they've been putting out new supplements this year. Um, um among which, uh, you know, I keep seeing your name. Now, your name is on the cover of both the Fate Core System and the System Toolkit, the two hardcovers yes. that uh, have been published for the Fate Core System that are that are rules books. That's right. Um, so. How how much you know participation did you have? I, you're you're listed as an assistant, I, I believe. Uh, what was it? Um, assistant developer on Fake Core. What yeah. was that? What was that? What was your role there? Uh, so, basically, the story there is that um, uh, Lenny Balsera and Ryan Macklin had gotten Fate about ninety percent of the way there, uh, and they were they had been working on it for so long that they just needed uh, other eyes to come in and look at it. Uh, so uh, Evil Hat brought in me and Mike Olson as uh, closers on the project, basically. Because mm-hmm. uh, we both had... Uh, we were both starting to get names in the Fate community, and uh, we had experience hacking Fate and writing for Fate and stuff like that. Um, and I think at that point we had both done work for Evil Hat. So mm-hmm. we were we were known quantities. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we got brought in uh, to wrap things up. Um, so I I polished up some of the chapters. I filled out some of the chapters. Um, I think I wrote about sixty or seventy percent of the uh, the chapter on the long game. Uh, mm-hmm. I wrote most of the stunts in the book. 
Um, and uh, and that's about the extent of my involvement with Fate Corp proper. Okay. Uh, most of that stuff is still uh, Lenny and Ryan. Okay. Uh, and then uh, the toolkit. Uh, that ratio goes to more like, I want to say like 30 or 40% of that book probably is stuff that I wrote. Because uh, there, there were a lot of people working on the toolkit. Yeah. Uh, the toolkit, it it, the way, because I got a chance to see, you know, because I backed the Kickstarter, so I got to see some of the early versions of it. It yeah. kind of felt like, in some ways, it was a series of essays that then got. Yeah. That then got woven together with some some unifying elements. I thought it yeah, worked really like, well. There's some of it is like here's how you do this in fate and some of it is here's a couple of examples of how you do this in fate and some of it is just sort of here's what fate is to me. Um like it's it it does have that uh that element of being part rules system and part essay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh I think that's very much by design. Uh, it was a big collaborative effort. Uh, there were like four or five people, I think, who were, I don't have the book in front of me, mm-hmm. um, who were, were working on that book uh, at the same time, and more people got brought in at the end. And um, it, it was one of these things where like, we had this giant spreadsheet that was like a wish list of all the things that we wanted in the toolkit. And stuff, stuff would get added to that spreadsheet and removed from that spreadsheet and shuffled around. And we'd basically, like, I would go in and look and see all the stuff that, that was taken and be like, oh, this looks interesting. I'll take this. I'll take this. I'll take this. I'll take this. And then I'd just go off and write that stuff. And uh, it, it was just sort of like, hey, what do you want to write about today? And then somehow that all turned into a book. <laughs> um, uh, like, I, I very much believe that at some point wizards are involved and like magic happens and a book is born. I think I think um, for for in in my experience as a publisher, the editors do a lot of that magic. <laughs> oh, yeah. Definitely, and Evil Hat has some great editors. Mm-hmm. Yep, I've uh, I've uh, met a couple, so yeah. yeah, I I can I can safely say that I've. I've been uh, trying to get a couple to work for me, and we're looking for a project. But um, <laughs> but yeah. actually, the uh, uh, so during the course of the Kickstarter for Fake Core, one of the stretch goals, um, one of the many stretch goals that you guys managed to hit, um, was a series of worlds that were mm-hmm. like sample settings, and um, you worked on at least one of those. Um, how many of those yeah. did you tackle? Uh, so I wrote one of them, and I did some system development on two others. Okay. Um, I I wrote Wild Blue, uh, which is my um, supers meets weird west uh, meets fantasy type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that grew uh, out of a home campaign set mm-hmm. setting that I've been noodling on for a while, and I've used in a couple of different game uh, has evolved over the years and uh, it's it's pretty gratifying to see that thing in print and see other people playing it. It is a pretty uh, cool setting. Uh, I, and that was in, that, there were there were two books I'm trying to remember which one that was in. Was that Worlds of Fire or Worlds of Shadow? That was in Worlds on Fire. Worlds on Fire. Um, and then also in that book 
uh, I helped out with some of the some of the fire and smoke rules on uh, Jason Morningstar's fight fire, which is another really cool setting. Yeah, yeah, I I read that thing and I was like, wow, this is fantastic. I have to be involved with this. <laughs> um, and uh, and then I also did in uh, Worlds on Shadow. I did a little bit of system development on Camelot Trigger by uh, Rob Wyland. Ah, yes, cool, cool. Uh, which is our our cool. Uh, King Arthur meets uh, giant robots. Set yep. So, so considering that this, um, you know, the the wild blue setting was kind of your first, at least the first. Um, I guess it was. Well, it's the first fake core pass on supers that I'd seen, or superheroes per se. Right. Right. Um, before that, I think uh, the one that a lot of people point to is Kerberos, uh, Kerberos Club. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mike Olson had a lot to do with that. Yeah. Um, but uh, you guys just published a new world. This was ac- this is actually correct me if I'm wrong, but you published this as well. It's part of your Patreon project, or yes, uh, that's the right. Evil Hats Patreon project. But it's available to anyone as a pay what you want, right? Yeah. 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 Um, you can go grab it for zero dollars if that's what you want to do. Yep. Um, and it's called Venture City Stories, and it's it's the first uh, Fate Core release that I've seen that really is designed to tackle superheroes, and it's kind of got a super punk vibe, like like cyberpunk. Yeah, I want to yeah. say. Um, um, let's talk about Venture City Stories. How did that come about? Um, so I was, um, I mean, to be perfectly honest. I was at a point where um, I needed to take on more work because I needed extra money. And I said, hey, Fred, do you have stuff for me to do? And he's like, well, we're kind of looking to do maybe an introductory adventure for Fate Core. Uh, is that something you'd be interested in doing? I said, sure, let me kick it around and I'll and I'll get back to you. And then I came back to him and I'm like, all right, so I have this idea. It's this thing where you basically take Cyberpunk and you remove the cyber part and you insert supers. And he's like, that's a cool idea. That could work. Um, and I, I kind of saw it as like, like I'm pretty happy with the way superpowers work in wild blue, mm-hmm. but I wanted to try something different. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I know that for a, a lot of people, um, the sort of hand wavy way that, that it works in wild blue is not quite enough to stick their teeth into. So I wanted to try something that was a little bit more, uh, more aimed at gearheads, more structure uh, because I am like i i alternate between being like really into the like super narrative hand wavy stuff and really into the gear heady crunchy stuff it depends on my mood um in my experience as a as a supers gamer i I tend to see more super and more supers games that swing towards that that really detailed kind of um out at least having longevity like uh mutants and masterminds is probably one of the uh more popular games that doesn't have too much crunch, but it's it's still a fairly detailed system as far as you know everything's point by and everything's balanced with right. points. Um, right. But uh, I, I've you know, and then Icons is probably one of the more lightweight ones that's been very popular. Both of which written by Steve Kenson. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, and and of course. If you go back to some of the older games, you have a lot of the random character generation, which kind of took some of that structure and it just imposed it on you. 
um, yeah. like uh, the old Marvel game. But um, yes. so how how is approaching powers different in you know in Venture City uh, compared to to Wild Blue? Um, well, with Wild Blue, I in both cases I had a specific idea for something that I wanted to. Uh, use for superpowers, and the whole thing kind of grew out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in Wild Blue, I, like, probably, like, five or six months before I actually wrote Wild Blue, or even knew that I was going to write Wild Blue for uh, for Evil Hat, uh, I, ha- I had this idea for uh, something that I wanted to use for a supers game, where your superpower was basically, I have the power to blank, blank, blank. And that's pretty much what Wild Blue does. Like, it hasn't changed much since that idea. Um, and in Venture City Stories, um, I had this thought that, like, a lot of what you remember about a fight between two, two supers is the damage that they cause to, to everything around them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the picking up cars and throwing them through buildings and, um, and like wrapping a lamppost around your enemy and, and all that kind of stuff that is like kind of like cleaned very visceral up. right like it's it's cleaned up after the fact and and no one really talks about it unless you're looking at the civil war series um <laughs> or, but, or you're um, reading the uh, damage control comic book but it, it but it's like it's it's a thing that happens in pretty much every superhero mm-hmm. story it's is that like huge amounts of damage are done to uh the the area and the people around them. And I was like, well, how do I make that happen at the table? Uh, and that's where the collateral damage clause came from. Um, and one of the things I, I actually wanted to jump on that real quick. One of the things I really loved about venture city stories, cause that one really speaks to me as a comic book fan of like seventies and eighties comics where, you know, especially Marvel where you had these big Titanic clashes between like the Hulk and the thing where they'd be pounding on each other, but you know, you'd see them getting knocked through walls and buildings. Someone would pick up a car and hit the other guy with it. And it was, you know, there were these epic scaled fights, but it it had all this. And one of the things I've always noticed about role-playing games and running supers games is that players have a strong tendency to try and mitigate or avoid collateral damage like that, because they, I, I think they, they feel like as a role of a guardian that if they cause damage to people and things around them, they're 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 failing or they're losing. But your system, I mean, inherently these characters have special abilities that are only triggered if they do this kind of collateral damage. Right. I, I like, thought that was brilliant. With with any given power, um, like you can do a lot of stuff without causing collateral damage, but the best stuff that you can do, the most potent effects are always hidden in that collateral damage clause it's like yeah you can you can take that blast that would level a city block but guess what that city block is going to get leveled mm-hmm. uh, you know it like it's 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 that kind of thing like um and and that's what i really wanted to be um part of the game and everything else grew out of that um because I, I didn't want it to be just about the collateral damage. I wanted you to be able to do things without destroying an entire city block if you really wanted to. Right. Uh, but but part of part of what I like about uh, about a lot, actually a lot of uh, fate stuff, is that idea of power at a cost. It's like mm-hmm. you can do this really cool thing, but you know maybe it's not going to go so well in the long. 
Right. Um, and just to kind of jump, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but was, was Mike Olson the one who kind of brought uh, the collateral damage idea into the Fate System Toolkit? I think he was the one who was talking about it. Um, so Mike, uh, in, in the Atomic Robo RPG, um, which is coming out sometime soon, mm-hmm. uh, wrote uh, these things called collateral consequences, mm-hmm. um, which is basically like uh, if you take stress, if you take a big pile of stress and you don't want to use your own consequences for that or you don't have any left to use or whatever, you can basically shunt one of those consequences off onto the the area around you. Um, and that's basically, it's like, it's like free damage absorption, but it's generally bad for everyone when that happens. Um, and uh, I think the the version that, that's in the toolkit grew out of um, what he had written for Atomic Robo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's really cool tech that I would like to see be in more stuff. Because uh, yeah. I like the idea a lot. We, we may wind up using a, a variation on it, on it in uh, uh, Shadow of the Century. Cool. So, um, getting back to Venture City Stories, the... Um, the organization of that book is a little interesting to me. Um, as a publisher, I kind of quirked an eyebrow because my instincts as a reader, when I open up a book that that's going to present uh, rules and setting, is that I'm going to see the rules first and then the setting second. But mm-hmm. Venture City Stories really starts off with setting information, and you kind of you kind of work the the adventure, the sample adventure, into almost sidebar format, peppered yeah. throughout the book. That was a really interesting layout. How did that come about? Uh, well, there there are sort of two answers to that question. Um, I always knew that I wanted Adventure City Stories to be um, a setting that you could use for your own adventures, and also an adventure that you could just run right out of book if you wanted to mm-hmm. um, and the the way that I saw that working was to just write the setting and then thread the the narrative of the of the adventure through with sidebars that was just it was like an idea that I had it fairly early in the process uh, that I wanted to make sure happened uh, and I, I really like the way it works in the PDF um, mm-hmm. Fred did some really smart things with uh, with layout and with hyperlinks and stuff like that that makes that part of the PDF really easy to use Mm-hmm. Um, but then the uh, to answer the question about like setting coming first and mechanics coming fa- uh, after the original draft actually had the character generation stuff at the beginning mm-hmm. um, and then the settings stuff and then the adventure and um, my editor uh, Josh Yearsley looked through it and was like this stuff is really cool I feel like I don't know what you're talking about until I get to the setting um, so it's like, here's a bunch of rules and I don't know what to do with them. Oh, okay. Now I know what to do with them. So we figured why not just front load the settings so that people have that context okay. before they, before they get to the rules. Um, and I think that I, I hope that helps people understand, um, what, what Venture City Stories is a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. Um, because one thing that was really important to me was that, um, like it's the the setting is is a really important part of that uh, of that book, mm-hmm. and 
I wanted people to get a strong sense of the setting right off the bat. Um, it's one of the reasons why I, I wrote it the way I did, why why I uh, almost wrote it kind of in first person and, and like as if it was like someone in the setting talking about mm-hmm. it, um, because I wanted to impart that. I, I wanted to uh, to make it clear what the setting was about and to uh, to sort of pull people into it as much as possible. I, I have to say it was very successful. One of the things that you know it kind of alerted me to as a, as a reader, even if I wasn't going to necessarily use that setting, it gave me an idea of what flavor of superhero I was looking at because there, you know superheroes as a genre cover such a wide you know spectrum of you've got you've got everything from kind of the pulp, you know old school Batman. Um, to mm-hmm. you know, crazy cosmic adventures of Batman or Superman and Green Lantern. You've got this whole spectrum of characters in between, and what your what Venture City Stories really tackles really well, I think, is that kind of big boisterous action style of comic where you have this these these big action scenes. And like I said, you know the you know people punching each other through buildings and all that fun stuff. Mm-hmm. And it really does home in on that particular subgenre of supers, I think, and and that's what the the setting really speaks to that, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, I also I also wanted to make sure that I so I'm I'm a big fan of cyberpunk. I like cyberpunk stories a lot, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I think the the part that I like the most about cyber punk stories is not the cyber part, it's the punk part is the part about like sticking it to the man and um, like disenfranchisement and going up against authority and uh, and all that kind of stuff I find that stuff really interesting and I wanted to make sure that that was that like the the story of Venture City story, like you can use the rules to tell what, whatever kind of super story you want I like I, I wanted to make the rules fairly universal but I wanted to make the I wanted to make it clear that um, in this game, very likely you are uh, the underdog, and you are going up against these powerful corporations that basically control the super trade. Um, and uh, and I wanted that that whole like fighting against almost insurmountable odds and succeeding anyway, kind of thing. Yeah, I think that came across very well. Um, it's actually kind of refreshing to see, you know, I, I'd kind of gotten burned out on, on cyberpunk years ago, back in, you know, the the heyday of, of, you know, things like Torg and other games, where it was, it was kind of the go-to setting for so many role-playing games. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, some games keep it alive, but after a while it just, it starts to feel a little, you know like you're treading old territory but mm-hmm. when you come up with something like venture city stories where you know you're replacing the you know the chrome and and mechanical hands with something cool like the the whole superhero process i, I thought that you injected some new life into that and i really liked that i'm glad you liked it yeah so um let's see i was trying to think about so um let's so in uh as I recall, 
with uh, Wild Blue, one of the you know the the main focus of getting superpowers in that was really about the permissions. You were really kind of focusing on the permissions of fate. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Venture City Stories, it's very much structured around combining stunts into sort of mega stunts. Like a, yeah. pow- a power is a combination of multiple stunts. Um, yeah. The structure that you've chosen to write them up in feels very familiar to me, and I hope this doesn't sound like it's a criticism, because I think it's a really good structure. It feels very much like Marvel Heroics. Was that an inspiration, a conscious inspiration? Uh, I, I mean, I would be lying through my teeth if I said that I wasn't inspired by the Marvel Heroic RPG. I think it's a fantastic RPG, and and I love almost everything about it. <laughs> I have so, to, I have to say yeah you know, we've had we've had Cam on before so we're big fans of it as well yeah <laughs> um, actually yeah, I mean, uh, I, actually Jack Norris who wrote Tian Shao for us has also done some writing on the Marvel uh, oh yeah okay so. um yeah I mean I like the idea of special effects was lifted almost directly from Marvel Heroic um and uh, and I and I I structured individual powers and a a very similar way because I think that um, structuring in the, them in that way makes a lot of sense and um, and makes them very easy to, to understand and, and digest. Uh, I, I agree. Um, for my own home Supers game that I, I, my players said they wanted to try their hands at a Fate Supers game, I was basically building one from scratch, except I can't really say that because I was largely basing a lot of my ideas on the Marvel Heroic system. I was basically pulling each of the effects from Marvel and making it a skill. So I was kind of mm-hmm. focusing on the skills aspect. But when I saw Venture Stories, Cindy Stories, I just kind of took my work and threw it out the window because I'm like, this is so much more elegant and so much cleaner and easier to look at and read than what I'd come up with. But, uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, I loved how you took the special effects concept and, and made them like triggers. It was like, it's like the kind of stunt that goes off when you get a... Um, a successful style, but it's 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 it it almost behaves a little bit more like a triggered effect because it's an optional thing that goes off. I really yeah. like I really like the way special effects work in Venture City Stories. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean it, it's uh, it was something that I definitely wanted to include uh because I um I so characters in Venture City Stories are considerably more powerful than characters in, in other Fate games. Um, you're basically playing around with six free stunts plus your refresh. You've got a lot to play with, and you're going to be dealing with huge numbers in a lot of cases. Um, and I wanted to make sure that success with style uh, uh, provided additional tactical benefits because it was going to come up a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, like, success with style as it is in Fate Core works the way it is uh, because it doesn't come up all the time but it it like if you are playing the speedster and you have like a plus 10 to your athletics rolls or whatever you're going to be succeeding with style most of the time and I wanted to make sure you had interesting decisions to make when that happened because it would happen a lot um, and I wanted that to be like part of your power not just like a, a boost or an aspect or whatever but like an additional thing that you could do to, to add a wrinkle to what was happening in the action. Yeah. I've, I've, I've really, it, it was, it was kind of a, a moment where I, I've, I've flipped through 
it, it was one of these moments where I was flipping through Venture City stories and I kind of skimmed through the setting and I was like, oh, that's cool, that's cool, that's cool. And then I went to the characters and ri- was looking at the write-ups and going, ah, oh, this, this is what I've been looking for. <laughs> this is like, this was the thing that kind of unlocked a whole bunch of potential out of fate for me that I'd, I'd kind of seen, but I'd never seen anyone structure it as, as cleanly as that before. And I really like that. Um, well, thank you. Uh, yeah, we're we're I mean, probably it's... lifting a bunch of that for a, uh, a a game I'm currently working on from a home group right now. Um. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean it's it's an interesting design space to play in. Um, like there there are um, like every once in a while you 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 come to a spot in a, a system you're very familiar with and you're like, huh, I've never really explored what I can do if I push this further. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and success in style was one of those one of those places with me. Like I always kind of knew that there was like more that you could trigger off of success in style, but I hadn't really like done much with that. Um, and, that and special effects were just sort of a way for me to play with that. What I like about it is that because you have multiple special effects that trigger off on the same thing. Like if you're a speedster and you do something. That and you succeed with style, you can then look down at a list of options that mm-hmm. you could then to choose to trigger. Where, whereas most of the time, when people succeed with style, they 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 might have one stunt that gives them like an additional invocation or on right. something or or whatnot. But more often than not, it's a very specific. When this comes up, you have this one extra benefit to what you're already going to do. Mm-hmm. And I like the fact that this creates some, you know, elements of, oh, well, hey, instead of doing what I was going to, you know, there, I think, um, we, I think, uh, you were responding to a thread on Google plus when you were clarifying how the extra action special effect worked. Yeah. Um, and you, you actually use the word retcon. You can actually retcon your action to do two actions instead when the speedster when the speed related actions so you can you know that to me was like yeah that's very different from how we've been playing fate up till now how my group has been playing fate the yeah like the, the way i see it is um with with the extra action thing in particular is not it's not so much that you're retconning it's that it's like you're getting the instant replay mm-hmm. like you, the the speedster does something and you're like oh look look what he just did and then it rewinds and goes back in slow-mo and you're like oh my god i can't believe he did that too mm-hmm. you know um it's like oh why did that thug over there fall down oh because he happened to lash out a hand and punch him uh mm-hmm. and i just didn't see it because my eye is fast enough to keep up with him yeah um yeah i mean it's it's a little thing that that allows the the speedster to be extra cool <laughs> it is it is it is extra cool now when now um Fred was uh, announcing to to folks who had bought the uh, um, the PDF already. He mentioned in an email to us. So I'm assuming this is public knowledge. And when I asked him in the email thread, he said it was okay to ask you. You guys are already talking about a supplement to Venture City Stories. Uh, some some more powers and suggestions, and hopefully some archetypes. I hope. Yeah, I mean, so Venture City Stories has been has proven to be. Um, way more popular than I anticipated it being. Um, and uh, one thing that uh, that people are demanding is 
uh, more pre-built powers and and uh, and templates and such, uh, so that you can just sort of hit the ground running uh, and mm-hmm. not have to spend a lot of time uh, figuring out the power system and stuff like that. And um, I think that's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> so do I. <laughs> Fred, if I have any vote on this, I'll I'll I'll, I'll take two. Um. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like Venture City Stories is a, um, it's a, a subsystem and a setting that I am very fond of at this point, mm-hmm. um, and would like to spend more time developing. Um, so, getting the opportunity to do um, to do a power supplement, I think would be a lot of fun. Um, and uh, and hopefully it would be really useful to people. Um, it would give me a chance to sort of stretch the the rules a little bit and see what I can do with them. Um, and uh, you know, hopefully, uh, if that is also popular, hopefully we can do something else with Adventure City Stories in the future. Yeah, one of the things I've noticed about the way that characters shape up, the way you know we we've built some characters for our own campaign. And I noticed that it's very good at creating characters who are built around a very specific theme, like, you know, a powerhouse, like, you know, the thing, or, um, you know, even, we even managed to stretch it for a Spider-Man-like character, but it got a little weird when you started going to some of the more esoteric characters who had a wider variety of, of, of abilities. Is mm-hmm. that something you might address in a supplement? It might be. Um, what? It, like, give me, give me a for instance. Uh, let's say, um, I'm, I'm. Problem is, I'm thinking about. Let me switch over to uh, DC and let's say Green Lantern. How would you approach him? Oh, jeez. Um, <laughs> man, I'd really have to think about that. Uh, yeah, that's that's kind of like. That's yeah, like, that's, a, like, that's a litmus test for whether or not you can do kind of a cosmic be, approach. Yeah, I mean, like definitely the the sort of cosmic power, like huge amounts of versatility and 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 stuff like that type character mm-hmm. is is one that I want to be able to tackle. Mm-hmm. Um, it might. I didn't mean to stump you. <laughs> no, I mean it's it's something that I need to think about for the supplement. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, it, it's rest assured that I will address that, and I'll, I'll leave it at that for now. Okay, <laughs> it's cool. something I'll circle cool. back. What's um? Uh, have you have you done any like um? Have you have you been like in your own home games or on kind of you know when you're when you're sitting around you know just piddling about with it? Did you ever like try and stat out actual comic book characters? Um. Um, well, I mean, a lot of the a lot of the templates in uh, at the end of the book are uh, comic book characters that I like with you know <clears throat> excuse me sorry with slight twists and variations. Mm-hmm. Um, now, like the the flamer at the end, that's the Human Torch, of course. Yeah. Um, um, the ghost, the ghost I, is Shadow Cat. Okay. Um, is um, can know. I can I can I take a guess at the powerhouse? Was that was that Grace from? Uh she, she reminds me a lot of, of Grace Choi from uh, um, now I can't remember the name of the comic book the out the Outsiders. I'm actually not familiar with that comic book. Oh okay. Um, no, I mean the the brick was like 
the thing, the Hulk. Mm-hmm. One of those types of characters. I just felt like I made, wanted to make it female. Yeah, the um, the thing that clicked for me was um, her ability to heal. Uh, yeah. As as which which is actually um, what made me think of Grace Choi because her rapid healing ability was yeah uh, an important plot and point. I think one of the comics. I think I drew that a little bit from the Hulk because. Mm-hmm. Yep, uh, he's got that too. Basically, yeah. basically, can't kill him. Yep. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I mean, they're all just sort of like archetypes that I've that I've seen over and over in in comics, and I just sort of took a little bit from this character and a little bit from that character. And sure. Added a little bit of cyberpunk to him. Yeah. So. I, I really do enjoy that we've been playing that. Um, and, and enjoying it tremendously, and I am very much looking forward to uh, supplements. But before I like send you off, I should really, you know, you you said you've been working on a lot of cool stuff, and and we talked a little bit about things you wanted to mention. Let me touch on some of these things. Now you already talked about the demolished ones and Wild mm-hmm. Blue. Um, tell us a little bit more. What are you doing with the Shadow of the Century? And for people who might not be familiar with it, what is Shadow of the Century? Uh, Shadow of the Century is is really two things. Uh, it's um, it's a follow up to Spirit of the Century. Mm-hmm. Uh, we move the timeline forward to the to the nineteen eighties. Uh, it's near the end of the century, so the spirits, uh, the Centurions, are starting to diminish in power, while the Shadow Centurions are starting to increase in power. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the so the dynamic has changed somewhat. It's it's no longer. Um, a time of optimism and uh, can-do attitude. It's more about uh, big organizations that are stamping down the little guy and technology run amok and um, and all sorts of you know shady shady business going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so, to some extent, it's it's that sort of sequel to, to Spirit of the Century. Um, it is also our love letter to all things eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, uh, to some extent, Kurt Russell, the RPG. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, basically our research for this, for this book is to watch as many eighties movies and TV shows as we can, um, and, and try and emulate what we see. Um, and, uh, and it and it's been great fun to work on. That sounds um, like it. So uh, for that book, uh, I am one of uh, two people who are doing uh, most of the the mechanics writing in the game. Um, so uh, that's me and Mike Olson. We're we're writing the mechanics in the game with Rob Donahue acting as sort of like a a mechanics uh, manager slash advisor. Um, Excellent. And uh, and yeah, we're we're basing it on uh, on core, but it's going to be um, there are going to be some areas where it drifts from core because okay. it's important to us that it that it be its own game. Um, and uh, and and it's important to us that we uh, that we don't stick with something that is in core when we have an option that works better for Shadow of the Century. Right. Um, so, um, and that, and that's been a lot of fun too. It's been a lot of fun to come up with, um, stuff that does eighties action, um, the right way. 
So um, it, it's like to some extent, it's also uh, I think our love letter to uh, Feng Shui um, because uh, by Robin Laws because that's a, that's that's a great game that does eighties action really really well and yep. if we can do it half as well, then we'll be in pretty good shape. So. Yep, and they're actually doing a. Uh, uh, they've announced they're doing a new edition of of Feng Shui. Yeah, so. I I am inordinately excited about that. <laughs> Robin Laws is super cool. He's also uh, he's also working on our Tian Sha project. He's he did a short story for our anthology. So yeah, he's he's a talented dude. Yeah, super nice guy too. Hill Folk is also a really interesting game by him, but we're talking about you, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you're also working on Dresden Files Accelerated, right? Yeah. Um, Where the heck is that? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Not that, too that was, that, that was actually um, that was actually uh, announced. Was that was that part of the Fake Core Kickstarter stretch goals, I or was that afterwards? Believe it was the last stretch goal that was unlocked. Okay. Um, I thought it was. So. Um, so uh, that one is. Um, uh, oh, I should also mention that um, for Shadow of the Century. Oh yes. A lot of the a lot of the um, the world building and setting stuff is being written by um, Stephen Blackmore and uh, Morgan Ellis. Okay. Uh, cool. And they're they're doing a fantastic job, and Rob's doing some of that stuff as well. Excellent. Um, and. Uh, God, that stuff's going to be great. Um, so, Dresden Files Accelerated. Um, I'm working on that with uh, Lenny Balsera and Pamela Shaw and uh, Priscilla Spencer and... Uh, shit, I'm going to forget someone. Um, am I going to forget someone? Ryan Macklin. Ryan Macklin's working on that, too. Um and, uh, and of course, Sean Netner works on all of these things because he is the glue that holds the company together at this point. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that's going to be... Um, we're, we're trying to do a couple of things with that. Uh, one is that we're trying to, uh, to create a, a Dresden Files game that is a good entry point into RPGs. Um, something that like a Dresden Files fan who is not necessarily an RPG fan could figure out and play. Okay. Uh, and uh, another part of it is that um, Jim broke our book. Uh, <laughs> we, like the Dresden Files RPG. Spoiler, is, is this a spoiler alert here? <laughs> no, no uh, the, the Dresden Files RPG is great, but uh, there's a point in the series, um, and I'm not going to say exactly where for people who haven't read this this stuff yet um but it is in books that have been released at this point uh there's a point in the series where uh harry gets to a a, a point like a, a power level that basically makes him not a playable character anymore in the rpg <laughs> um, <laughs> and that's a problem so we're trying to we're trying to we're trying to make a dress and files rpg that um, you could still play Harry Dresden, right? Well, that that allows you to play in a number of places on that scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, like we we want to make the RPG where everyone can be pure mortals if they want to, or everyone can be like incredibly powerful she lords if they want to, mm-hmm. and the the game doesn't change that much, you know. 
So um, this this really is a um, this isn't just an adaptation of the existing material. Then you guys are really trying to no, build no. something on top of it. Yeah, yeah. That's um, exciting. I I hadn't heard that. Yeah, we're we're all pretty excited about it. Fantastic. One of the things that um, I really enjoyed about Fate Core. Um, when I picked it up, uh, it was, and I've, I've said this on podcasts before, so this is kind of my shame as a gamer. Every time I'd picked up a Fate product before then, I'd always kind of look through it and I'd had trouble understanding the mechanics because I was trying to peel the mechanics away from the material. And Fate Core did such a neat job of presenting the mechanics and giving me that, that here's how aspects work, here's how... Um, you know, skills work and stunts and everything was boiled down to this. These are the mechanics of it, and then you, I could easily see how everything would then be used in a in a given setting. Um, I was able to go back and read and get a lot more out of the Dresden Files RPG mm. um, after reading it. Because I'm I'm as here's my other ding. People can like point at me and laugh. I actually haven't had a chance to read past the first of the Dresden Files books, so I okay. I didn't have a lot of the material in front of me. So there there was kind I'm, of I'm like going this. to recommend that you don't read the second Dresden Files RPG book then, because it is full of spoilers. <laughs> but um, I do need to catch up on that series. It's it is on my to do list. But um, it was one of the things where I felt like the setting was so much more important than the system that I couldn't really understand one without having been steeped in the other. Um, mm-hmm. But I think Fate and, Core did I mean, a much better of it, job of explaining things in a way that I could understand. That, I mean, that was, that, was, that was one of Lenny and Ryan's design goals. Mm-hmm. Um, they spent a lot of time thinking about uh, the language that they used uh, in, in describing Fate mm-hmm. and uh, what language was necessary and what language wasn't. Mm-hmm. What language needed to be more natural, and what language needed to be specific game terms, um, and and they they cut a lot of stuff out that was uh, just different ways of saying the same thing, mm-hmm. uh, and and sort of boiled it down to its essentials, um, and uh, and I think like it's it's a much better, tighter game for it. Uh, I think. Uh, is much more uh, newbie friendly than than previous fake games have been because uh, there isn't so much. Um, I mean, the language in in older fake games can be a little confusing, um, and uh, and it can be a little bit overwhelming at times. And Fake Core does a, a really good job of uh, eliminating that wherever it can. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it is, and it is a uh, is a significantly different system from what I'd you know grown up playing. That you know, having those tools in my toolbox, it feels like a completely different game now when I sit down to play. There's yeah. there's you know the the idea of how aspects work and how you know it, it seems very simple now that I know how to use them, but but trying to understand that as a, as a new gamer it was a little daunting at first, but Fate Core really did a good job of that, and I'm really glad to see how successful it's been, um, both for me and for other people. Well, what's um, really exciting is is seeing um, like how much a living game it is. Mm-hmm. Um, like the If you go onto the Fate Core Google Plus community, mm-hmm. there are 
thousands of people talking about fake horror and sharing ideas mm -hmm. and uh, and coming up with new mechanics and it's really cool. Yeah, uh, the Google Plus then, the Google Plus community is really really vibrant there. Yeah, and they're everyone's super willing to to help people out and it's a great place to go if you're a newbie and you just and you just want to you want help understanding what's going on. Mm -hmm. uh, like those people are totally willing to help you. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you've got you've got um, all sorts of people making fake games and adding to uh, to, to what I call the, the fake constellation. Um, and uh, it's it's just really cool to see this thing sort of take on a life of its own. Um, it's uh, like I it. Fate Core, the the actual Fate Core book is one of those books that I had a had a hand in, but don't really feel a whole lot of ownership over. Mm -hmm. um, but it's still really cool to be a part of this like groundswell movement. Mm -hmm. um, it's uh, it's a really neat thing to to watch. Yeah, it is. It is really cool. You know, after Fate Core, there's there's been an explosion of stuff coming out, and I I, I think I've I've seen like three mecha oriented projects um yeah i've seen uh multiple superhero oriented projects everybody's kind of jumping on this with their own ideas of how to tackle these different genres and it's really exciting to see it it's really it's cool. great it's great to see um like you mentioned that there's there's like three different mecha uh games out there it's really cool to see that because they're all different Mm -hmm. And like they all have a slightly different take on, um, on what a mecha game is and how mecha work and and all that kind of stuff. It's and and that that exists for pretty much everything. Like, it's it's really cool to see all the different variations of the same thing that are out there. Mm -hmm. um, and and it's cool to see that there's a place for all that. Yeah, it's nice that there's room for it. Um, oh yes, we wanted to talk about becoming. Yeah. Um, so becoming is, is not a fate product. Um, uh, it's a, a game that I self published a little while ago. I, I had it on Kickstarter and, um, it has since been released and everything on the Kickstarter has been fulfilled and, uh, and now I'm selling it. Um, and, uh, so becoming is my game about, um, heroism and sacrifice and, what it takes to be a hero and what you have to give up in order to be a hero. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, it's a game where, uh, typically there are four players and, uh, three of those players take on the role of fates, which are, uh, similar in nature to the role of the GM. And one of the players takes on the role of the hero, which is similar in nature to the role of the PC. Everyone has a lot of, uh, narrative control, mm -hmm. uh, but the, the fates are the ones who frame scenes and present obstacles and do a lot of the traditional GM roles. Um, and and, uh, and it, it is a game with a winner and, and, and losers, and uh, the person who wins determines how the story ends. Interesting. Uh, and the, the hero uh, changes significantly from the beginning to the end of the game. Well, that's very cool. Um, what, what kind of a, how, how do you, I don't want to give up too much, but, uh, how would, how, what kind of a game system does it use? I mean, are you using dice, playing cards? Uh, it uses dice, uh, mm -hmm. it's 
very simple uh, resolution mechanic. Uh, basically, when there is a, a, a conflict, you're, uh, the two sides are rolling uh, handfuls of, of uh, D6s and uh, looking for their highest results and comparing them. And then if that's a tie, they go to their next highest. And there are, a lot of the nuance comes in how you get additional dice into your hand. Um, and a lot of that involves um, risking things that are important to you or making bargains with, uh, with fates to, to get more dice at a cost um, and, uh, and stuff like that. But uh, the, the game plays out over nine scenes, and that usually takes about two to two and a half hours. Um, so it's, uh, it's like sort of quick and streamlined enough that... Um, that you can play it pretty quickly, and and most of that time is going to be spent um, narrating what's happening. Very cool. Um, placing my order now. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, um, uh, you can find becoming on Drive Through RPG. Yep, and uh, I'll actually I'll actually include a link to the that in the pod uh, podcast description. Um, cool. And um, let's see. I think that's all of my notes that. Uh, I wanted to hit all these topics, um, and we've hit our usual one hour plus runtime. So, is there anything else you wanted to yep. plug or give a shout out to before we uh, before we let you go? Um, I don't think there's anything else that I am allowed to talk about just yet. Okay. <laughs> So I'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> well, as as always, Brian, um, thank you very much for taking time to join us. I really yeah, appreciate no talking with you. Hope to talk to you again soon. Are there any um, uh, convention appearances that you're that you're making in the coming months that you want to mention? Uh, yeah, actually. So um, I I didn't mention this before, but uh, part of my career trajectory has landed me a job with Steve Jackson Games. Excellent. Uh, and that um, means that I go to conventions for my work now. So I'm going to be at Origins and Gen Con. Fantastic. Uh, and uh, I, I live in the Austin area, Austin, Texas area, and uh, I try to go to local conventions here whenever I can as well. Very cool. All right. Well, Brian, once again, thank you. Um, to all of our listeners, thank you. And um, if you haven't checked it out yet, Venture City Stories, you can get it from DriveThruRPG or RPG Now. Um, I think you can you also get it from the the Evil Hat website. I'm assuming. Uh, probably. I'm not actually sure. Okay, I'll double check that before. Uh, I'll... I think pretty much everything is. I don't think it would be pay for pay what you want on the Evil Hat store. Okay. Like I think it would probably be like a dollar or two. Um, okay. But uh, but you probably can get it. All right, I'll uh, the the links will be in the description. Um, and uh, if you're if you're a supers player or supers fan and and also a a fate fan, I definitely think it's worth a look. Um, especially if you like the Marvel heroic role playing game, I think you'll really dig how the characters are laid out. Um, and of course, the supers punk setting is a lot of fun, and there's some really cool characters, some some sample characters in there. So. Um, until next time, uh, thanks for tuning in, and stay vigilant. See you later, everybody.